The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome, welcome to the show. This is Joyce Bender with a call, but Merrill Hodge always says, find a way. And he is the greatest NFL man you will meet. So I did find a way. I have a co-host, Mary Brocker. Mary, are you there? Yes, I am, Joyce. It is my pleasure to be your guest co-host today with the Merrill Hodge. Thank you. You're welcome. Meryl, can you hear me? I can hear you. I hear both of you great. Okay, Meryl, let's start with your football career. You were drafted by my favorite team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, in 1987 and played for seven seasons. What was it like? Well, i got to tell you, Joyce, um, uh, when I was a kid, I had two favorite teams. I had the Pittsburgh Steelers were my favorite team. But my favorite player played for the Chicago Bears and Walter Payton. Um, to not only be drafted by a team that I loved, but to walk um, around and play with some of the people I used, players I used to watch play in Super Bowls, you know, like Donnie Schill and Mike Webster and John Stallworth. I, I played with all of those guys for on their last year in Pittsburgh, my first year. And to be coached and taught by Chuck Knoll, um, and then to you know play there seven years, and then, then go to Chicago uh, and play, and end my career there, and, and meet um, Walter Payton and play in that organization. I, uh, God, I couldn't have scripted it any better. You know, I've, um, the relationships that um, that have come from playing in the NFL, um, the great people, the opportunities. I mean, and I look at this, Joyce. I, I mean, I know. I know of your passion and the difference you've made in so many other people's lives and to, uh, you know, to be on your show, um, to know you, to, you know, really stems from the game of football. You know, Chuck Noll used to always talk to us about this, this great game that we play. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing stage, only if you use it correctly. You know, and really he was talking about your life's work and serving others. And, you know, I, I really listened diligently to him about those things. And, you know, I moved on. You know, and it's, uh, it's been, it, it was an amazing experience playing, but it's still an amazing experience because that organization, but, you know, really both of them, you know, still are a big part of what I do today. Meryl, there are 3 million people with disabilities and those three million people are all going to know about you because of everything you've done. But I'm going to turn it over for a minute to Mary. So, Meryl, as you were saying uh, earlier on, you played 
before the best football team in the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers. But after that, you went on to the Chicago Bears and, and finished your career there. Uh, Meryl, I know you had only played five games with the Bears, and something happened to cause your career to, uh, to end with the Bears. Can you share with our listeners what happened? Well, yeah, Mary, uh, what happened to me is I had I had, had uh, a significant concussion on a Monday night game in Kansas City. And what really transpired after that when, and we, I, I always have to take listeners back to 19, good gracious, what was it, 1994, of how we handled that particular injury at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, my care, I, I didn't, I was never seen by a neurological doctor. I had amnesia. Oh, I had amnesia well into the next day, which in head trauma, that is your number one symptom to tell you how severe your head trauma is. You know, there's other symptoms, but that is probably, that is the number one gauge for people who, you know, who are uneducated about it and, you know, maybe dealing with youth and, or in sports and activities and don't have the opportunity to, to be around great medical doctors. Um, but I was never really evaluated, you know, and they, they kind of monitored me for a few days and I was back on the field practicing and playing five days later. Um, I then took another significant blow some five weeks later, um, when we were back home in Chicago and, um, it was a very similar hit. It was a very similar reaction. Although this time when they took me to the locker room, um, they sat me on a training table and as I sat there. The only thing I remember is we had a, a teammate of mine had hurt his ankle and he was in the locker room as well. And he looked at me and I remember him asking me, are you all right? And it was then that I remember my eyes just started to flutter. And then the rest of it, they told me later, but I, you know, I stopped breathing. I, they lost me. I'd lost all vital signs. They're trying to resuscitate me. And at the, at the, at the action of trying to resuscitate me, I started to breathe again and I actually stood up. So they took me to the, um, ambulance rushed me to the emergency room and I stared there for a couple of days and then really started a long, arduous process of rehabilitating myself. You know, I went through d- depression, had um, all kinds of memory loss issues, had to reread, learn how to read again. I mean, it was a long process, but, you know, and it took about two years, but, you know, thank goodness um, I can say that I have very few symptoms now, surely not to the magnitude I had back then. Right, right. And, Meryl, you mentioned that back then there was a very different process for being evaluated with this type of, of head injury. Um, and, you know, obviously there are many young people, high school football players, who, you know, have concussions, you know, as a result of uh, an injury while playing football. And, you know, our host, Joyce, ba- Joyce Bender, is the chair of the National Epilepsy Foundation board, and obviously sometimes um, this head trauma, this traumatic brain injury can lead to epilepsy. You know, what can we do to prevent this from happening, Meryl? Well, you know, Mary, the, the, the first thing, um, you, you can never prevent head trauma, but you can prevent things that happen to me and that we see with our youth and other people with head trauma when it occurs. Mm-hmm. And that is revisiting them or re- replacing them or returning them back to an activity that they are su- subject to blows to the head again. That, that's the biggest thing that we need to, that really everybody needs to be, be aware of. And then I, I teach you football. I coach you football. I've, co- I've, I've coached for six years. 
Yeah. I have lost more kids from playing the game of football from recess, not football. <laughs> they go out to recess and they, you know, they break their arm. And I've even had kids that have, you know, fallen off, you know, the swing sets and all the things they do out there, been concussed. Now, what we have to do is make sure that 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 he or she is properly cared for and evaluated, and they don't go back to an activity where they could have some type of head trauma. That could be playing in, out on the school yards, quite honestly, until symptoms have cleared. That's the greatest danger that that an athlete or anybody who's had head trauma jeopardizes themselves is when they haven't been cared for properly. They just haven't cleared. And they're back engaging in things that could could be part of taking another blow to the head. And then if you have that second impact is when really a lot of the permanent damage or even fatality can stem from, especially in, in kids, you know, in our youth, our younger kids. You know what, Meryl, as Mary mentioned, <clears throat> I'm the chair of the Epilepsy Foundation, but I am also living with epilepsy. And I know many people with head trauma end up with epilepsy. So I think what you're talking about is so very important. But you always gave back, Meryl, always, and you still do. And I know there's a player that influenced you to give back. Would you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, you know, you know, Joyce, and I'll tell you something. You know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm grateful for this opportunity to be with you, Warren. But you see, I, you just shared some with me. I don't, I didn't even know. You know, the epilepsy connection with head trauma. I, I'm telling you, I didn't even know that. You know, which you know just helps me as I try to teach, you know, and educate and help all of, you know, parents and youth, especially in youth sports, is where I'm really passionate about. But it, from you know, from all aspects of educating people, but. To get to your your question is Walter Payton. Walter Payton, you know, was I idolized him first. I started really admiring him and idolizing him for how he played the game of football. I loved how he played it. He played it way the way it's meant to be played and it should be played with great professionalism and an aggressiveness and the cleanness that the game is about. Now, um, I got to meet him my rookie year, and I won't bore you with a. All, the entire story is way too long, but as I told you earlier, my favorite team was the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Chicago Bears. Those are my two favorite teams. So I had all kinds of memorabilia, and my mom had bought me the Chicago Bear lamp, which I still have today. In fact, ironically, I'm looking at it right now. It still sits in my office. I have it with me. I mean, and it's it's weathered the years. Let's put it this way. But I uh, I, I I couldn't remember, I couldn't wait to to meet him. And we played in the second preseason game of my rookie year. We play the game. The game's winding down. We're losing 50 to nothing. Wow. But I don't care about the loss at this point. I am achieving one of my ultimate dreams come true. I'm going to meet and talk to the man who I have, from a distance, idolized and tried to emulate for the last, say, you know, eight to ten years of my life. Um, from a real young boy, you know, from about ages 12 to, you know, when I was in the league 21, when I my rookie year. But I went across the field as he was walking to the locker room, and I caught him at the 50-yard line. And I went through the whole story with him. I told him from the day I, I saw him, I read these things about him, and I, I ran the dirt hill like he did. And, boy, I did everything that Walter Payton did. And I just told him how much I appreciated what difference he'd been in my life. 
Now, I was really blown away when I got to him because I had built him up to be such a huge individual, and he was only 5'10", 205 pounds. Wow. So I was really taken back. I'm 6'1", 220, and not that I'm some giant, but I was bigger than he was. Right. It, was, it, it really kind of startled me initially, but as I shared this story with him, really the moment of truth came. I, I panicked a little bit, and I, you know, I was done with what I wanted to say, and I asked him if there would be a chance to get an autograph, and it's the only one I've ever asked for for myself, ever. And he's like, of course, I mean, we just got him playing a game, so you can tell the, uh, the uh, kind of the, uh, um, the ridiculous line of questioning that was because I'm, he doesn't have a pen with him. But he's like, you know, I don't have a pen with me, but first, he said, first, I want to thank you for taking the time to come over here and tell me that story. He goes, that was the nicest thing anybody has ever said to me. And he said, why don't you take these? And then he takes these sweatbands and elbow pads off and handed them to me. Now, keep in mind, remember, I told you we got to beat 50 to nothing. When I, have you ever seen a losing locker room or a tunnel of a losing locker room? It don't care how bad you get beat by. You know, players got their helmets, their heads down, they're dragging their chin on the ground and heading in the locker room. Right. Not me. Not me. You'd have thought I won the Super Bowl. I was jumping up and down. I was so excited. I had my Chicago Bears helmet, I mean, uh, sweatbands and, and wristbands and elbow pads, and my dad was there, and I was jumping up and down trying to show him, get his attention, and it was just like, oh. <laughs> and then I had Chuck Noel come back, walk, come walking in the locker room when I was in the locker trying to stuff it in my bag so that I didn't misplace with all the other stuff on the ground. <laughs> he said, I hope nobody went across the field and thanked them for kicking our tails. <laughs> God, I, was like, I was like, well... I'm, I, my career is pretty much over because I'm sure I not only thanked him, I mean, I literally almost carried him off the football field. I was so <laughs> But to meet him, and then when I went to play in Chicago, I got to know him a little better, and he was yeah, a real inspiration to me about um, how genuine he was as far as how he handled me. And I've never forgotten that. You know, so many times you get a chance to meet your, somebody you really idolize and you hear your hero, and, then, and you leave with a different impression. Right. Okay, listen, everybody has a bad day. So, you know, it can happen to any of us that maybe, you know, in those circumstances. But it really, really taught me how, you know, to take time, you know, and really, because he called me my name. He called me by my name. I only said it once when I introduced myself. Right. And then how he handled me and how he talked to me and his appreciation for me coming over there was, I mean, he was, it, I, well, wherever I had him at one, when I walked over there, he was 10 times more powerful to me. When I left there, which so, is which has always stayed with me. So, Merrill, he did not let you down. Absolutely not. Um, Mary and Joyce, no, he was as as genuine and dear a person I've ever met in in my opportunities and my journeys in this league. And he also taught you to give back. Yeah, Walter was a big. You know, that was part of the thing that I loved about him too. Uh, is that. I, and, and that's what, how I'm going to start it, you know, it was about playing football and it was about, you know, all those things. But when I watched all the things that he did for others and his service and his charity work, and, you know, then when I played in Chicago, just to hear, you know, how he had impacted people's lives by giving back in his service, especially the stage that he sat on, you know, he has, you know, that's one thing that, um, you know, being able to be in this position, you get, you get to, you get more opportunities than maybe others. And, boy, he did not waste any of them. He was he impacted so many people. I'm not the only one. I mean, he's impacted so many people that made a difference in their lives. 
Well, I think we have a caller on the line. Hello, Joyce? Hey, Neil. Do you recognize me? <laughs> sure. I, I always recognize you. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Hey, hey Neil. This is Mary. Welcome to the show. I'm Joyce Bender's reasonable accommodation today. <laughs> Hi, Mary. You're doing a great job. Thank uh, you. Mr. Hodge, um, I heard you a little bit already talking about the head trauma to youth, but what if somebody with a disability such as epilepsy or, or perhaps even deaf wants to have a career in football or, or, or a sport? What, do you have any advice for them? But yeah, really my first advice would be that's when I believe you go to an, uh, an expert in that field, to a neurological doctor. You, I, I don't get baselines and evaluations and his expert you know, opinion on on you know what type, I mean what are your risks you know and you know clearly if they are so significant I would think in a in a professional setting or in being a guy of worth in the you know a neurological guy would would say listen don't jeopardize that or that's unrealistic but if it is realistic certainly the ramifications from it the baseline and all the things that need to be taken into consideration before one gets into an activity like that. You know, I don't know of, you know, I'm not medically educated enough to talk about, you know, if you had, you know, if epilepsy, you know, with that, with that, you know, do you go on to play the game of football? What is that risk value? I, I don't know that, but that's what I would do. I would definitely go to a neurological doctor and seek out those answers to make Meryl. sure. Meryl, that I Alan Fanica has epilepsy. You like that? Alan Fanica. Okay, well, Mary, you know can you explain I, that for me? Joyce, I didn't know that. Yeah, see, I'm not, let me tell you this: this is becoming a a learning process for me too. I didn't yeah. know that. That's interesting, uh, you know. Yeah, without a doubt. And with epilepsy, Meryl, there is an entire spectrum. You know, there are many people who are living with epilepsy whose seizures are controlled by taking medication every day, while there are others who are living with epilepsy who have hundreds of seizures per day. So I think your advice about, you know, definitely accessing the experts to really see where the risk lies with engaging in some type of contact sport is is definitely fantastic advice. Um, you know, as Joyce just mentioned, Alan Fanica, obviously, former Pittsburgh Steeler and then uh, moved on to the Jets and now with the Cardinals, uh, is a person who's living with epilepsy. And Alan actually uh, uh, volunteers his time to help the National Epilepsy Foundation. And when he was here in Pittsburgh, he really worked a lot with the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central Pennsylvania. And there are a couple of other uh, players from the NFL who have really worked and, again, volunteered their time based on their experience with either living with epilepsy or having a a loved one who lives with epilepsy. Um, Another gentleman who plays in the NFL for the Atlanta Falcons um, is Jason Snelling. And Jason has epilepsy, and uh, every year Jason and Alan Fanica and uh, Jeff Pope, who's now injured but plays for the Eagles, he has experience with epilepsy because his grandmother has epilepsy. Um, and also uh, another individual who's helped out a lot who also is an NFL player living with epilepsy is, is Samari Roll. So, 
you know, without a doubt, you're exactly right. With the spectrum, there are some who may be living with a disability where it would not be a good idea to engage in a sport such as football, but, you know, there are many examples of, of great players who both um, are living with this disability and are uh, doing volunteer work to, to help others um, who are all, also living with that uh, with epilepsy. Meryl, well, I'm glad I, I did this show today because you know what? I All that you just told me, I had no idea. Meryl, no. they talk about it. They go to our national walks and they talk about it. But some people, it would be so serious they would not be able to. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that, Joyce. I mean, that is, I mean, it's, it's great information, and it, there's a lot of optimistic um, things when you hear that, those inspiring people. Um, but just also with, you know, with what I do in youth sports, with USA football, um, you know, with somebody that may come with me, because my, my first reaction would be like, oh, I don't know if you could jeopardize yourself and play football like that. But it's, a, it's great to know that, A, a people are, B, but then the process of doing it, I, I, you know, is just strongly, you got to, Neurological evaluation and their clearance has to be pivotal in what you what you have before oh, you go well, play. Meryl, I have epilepsy, but I will not be playing football. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Joyce. I think we could have had you stand in a couple of times. Hey, Neil, are you still with us? Yeah, yes, I'm still with you. Did you have any other questions or comments? Oh no, no, just enjoying the show. I just wondered, um, you know, what um, you know advice we could give. Anybody come along with any type of disability? So I guess, as Mr. Hard says, it's more you know getting the clearance and making sure that you are able to participate in that sport. Good advice. Thank you, Neil. No, thank you. Uh, I think Bye. we have another. I think we have another caller on the line. Scott, you connected. Do we have a caller? Scott. Hey, good afternoon, Joyce. How are you? Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing great. Uh, great show, by the way. And uh, good afternoon, Merle. Hi, Scott. How are you, my friend? Doing great. Doing great. I'm a big fan of yours, and I absolutely loved your your book. And uh, the question I had for you is, um, you know, you also had cancer, and I was just curious, you know, since you're in the TV industry, how did people in the TV industry react to uh, you telling them that you had cancer? Well. You know, I got to really, um, and I'm glad you asked that question because I, I don't know that I probably thank them <clears throat> enough. But I, 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 when I was diagnosed, there was a few people right away that I had to talk to and talk with. And the first two were my kids. They were of most importance. But then my job, you know, how would they handle it? How did, you know, how would they deal with me? And I remember talking to ESPN and going in there, and I remember them saying, listen, we're behind you. Basically, what this is what ended up happening. We're behind you no matter what you want to do. You know, because I had the draft coming up. And they're like, listen, you do not have to do the draft. You don't have to come here a day until you get done doing what you have to do. And we understand that. Um, um, or let us help you in what you want to do if you want to keep working. So um, I was, yeah, that was an enormous uh, boost for me. You know, because, you know, obviously so many things go into your head. And then especially because my diagnosis was not one that was, uh, you know, there was nothing 
there was no guarantee in the process of what was going to happen with the treatment. So, you know, that was overwhelming. Now to know that, you know, really I wasn't going to have to worry about work per se, you know, and their willingness to help me and support me was, well, you know, really took an enormous burden away. Well, Meryl, didn't they want you to wear a hairpiece? Oh, no. Um, actually, um, I wanted to. Here's what I did. When I decided to do the draft, um, I wanted to disguise myself and my baldness, basically. I was so devastated by being bald. And I decided, and I called Reebok, and I set up this, them to send me a hat for every team in the NFL. And all I was going to do during the draft is I was just going to have my hat on based on the team that was on the clock. You know, so if the Pittsburgh Steelers are on, I got a Pittsburgh Steelers hat on. Right. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I got their hat on. Well, we, I went to New York. We have a two-day meeting, and it was the last meeting before the draft the next day. And my producer, Jay Rothman, who uh, produces Monday Night Football, he said, I'd like to go to dinner with you, and I'd like to talk to you if you don't mind. And I'm like, sure. So we went to dinner. I remember we went out. We ordered. And... He looked at me and he said, what are you hiding? And I was like, what do you mean, what am I hiding? He goes, Meryl, when you called me and told me about what you're going through, he goes, you inspired me and helped me, okay, deal with this. He goes, why would you wear hats and hide what you're going through? You didn't ask for this. You know, there's other people that are going through this. I'm just suggesting you don't hide it. I don't think you need to hide it, Meryl. You didn't ask it, and I think you need to show people how you're attacking it. You can wear the hats if you want, but it would be my suggestion you don't. And I'm telling you, it was just like, wow. You know, he was so right. And I, you know what? It was really great counsel, a great challenge. Right. And I remember I went on draft, and, you know, and it's not an hour show. It's if you've watched NFL draft, it's like two days. You know, so, That's right. You know, I'm going to be there for the world to see, you know. And I and tell you this, it was not only was it one of one of the greatest challenges and pieces of advice I ever got, but about a year later, I got a call to play in the Gary Player Golf Tournament from the lady who ran it. And um, <clears throat> I had talked to her back and, back and forth, and her name was Catherine Rogers. And when I got there, I wanted to meet, and I had this vision of Catherine Rogers as her hair was pulled up and she had a like a... a like it bunned up in the back. I just had to, based on her voice, because I never met her. So I, when I got there, I wanted to meet her, because I really wanted to thank her and, you know, and, and, and visit with her in person. And when they point, when I checked in for the reception that night, they, you know, I go, is Catherine Rogers here? And they go, yeah, she's just over here. And so I went over and introduced myself. Well, she told me that she had been battling ovarian cancer the exact same time I was doing the draft. And she's obviously going through, a similar process about what I was going through and she was laying on the couch and she's going through a tough time and um, her mindset wasn't where, um, where she wanted it to be or her, her dad wanted it to be. And, uh, he turned the TV on and he said, see that guy, he's going through the same thing you are. Get off the couch. Unbelievable. And, and she, and she goes, man, I saw that. And it just, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I quit feeling sorry for myself. And I quit laying around with all this negative energy, she was like completely changed it. You know, basically that's kind of my thought process and what happened to me with my book, Find a Way, that she changed her energies and she's like, she quit being sorry for herself, quit thinking about all these negative things, and she sent it towards taking action of what she wanted to have in life. And she goes, I wanted to thank you. I wanted you a part of our golf tournament. I wanted you here because of that. So 
and this has happened to me many other times since then, but just that one story, because it was the first one, I, I imagine if I had hit it that day, you know, I just, so the ramifications from not doing that and, and, you know, accepting his challenge and listening to his counsel really helped a lot of people that needed it at that time, including myself. Wow. <clears throat> you, you have defeated death two times. Yeah, Joyce, I've been blessed. (laughs) Obviously, God is with you. Hey, Mary, I know you had a question. Right. I think, Scott, are you still on the line? Yes, I'm still here. Scott, did you have any other questions for Meryl? Um, I don't. Like I said, I I absolutely love the book. I think I finished it in like a day and a half. um, Wow. Well, I know Meryl's going to tell us about his new book, but uh, before you hang up, Scott, uh, what did you enjoy most about the book? Um, just his actually before he was even a Steeler, just growing up and uh, and playing at uh, Idaho and uh, and, and just um, the obstacles that he had to overcome. You know, it was, it was fascinating. Yeah, you know, just uh, it was just a, a great book, enjoyable. Fantastic. Well, I, I, I sure, well. yeah, sure, nice to you, Ann. <clears throat> well, thank you so much for calling in, Scott and Merrill. Would, would you? Uh, uh, please take the time to tell us about your new book called Find a Way. Well, you know, Mary and Joyce, I, uh, this book starts, I, I had a, uh, uh, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society auctioned off a trip to ESPN, and a father and son came. And I always love to know young kids' age because I go back to really when this book all started, where it stemmed from. I was 12 years old. 12 years old because it's a reminder of what, you know, <clears throat> what young people, how young people think and where their thought processes are at a young age, you know, they're dreaming, they're exploring. And, and they have, if you think of their scope in life, it's wide open. You know, they, they, have, they haven't been tampered by much, you know, they, they believe they can do it all. And so many, so many times based on, you know, life's experiences, we tend, I say we, you know, people down the road, more, supposedly wiser, you know, tend to try to throw a perspective on here, but it becomes a negative. And what I mean by that, when I was, you know, I was about eight years old, and I was like, I was going to play in the NFL. That's what I wanted to do. I seen it on television. I was playing it. I loved it. And I would tell people I was going to do that. And every time I would say that, one of four things would happen. I'd either hear, oh, Merrill, you know how hard that's going to be? Or do you know what the odds are of you ever making it in the NFL? You know? Meryl, don't put all your eggs in one basket, and it's impossible. Well, when I was 12, I finally got my own room, and in this room, I wanted one thing. I didn't care if I had a bed. I didn't care if I had carpet. I didn't care about anything but one thing. I wanted a wall made of cork. Not a cork board. I wanted a wall, an entire wall out of cork. And my dad was like, why do you want a wall of cork? I said, I'm going to pin up my goals. I'm going to be writing things visually. I want to walk in that room every day, and I want to wake up every morning as a reminder of where I'm going and what I'm doing. And have I accomplished it or gotten closer to it? Well, when my room was done, my room, my bed was actually bumped up against that cork wall, and I was pinning up these 8 by 10 cards of my goals. And one of them, obviously the main one, was I will play in the NFL. As I was pinning it up, I just couldn't help revisit all those things I just mentioned from how hard, odds, impossible, no, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I remember thinking, you know, 
well, you know what? I'm going to have to find a way. I'll find a way to beat the odds, and I'll, whatever works required, I will do it. Nothing wrong in life with having more than one basket, and it's not impossible because people are doing it. But, right. but how I, I changed inside, I, I could feel me change. I felt my energies change to what I wanted to have happen versus sit and worry about things that might happen that I had no control of. And so it really inspired action, and it helped me channel my energies in the right direction. So I got down. I had extra, obviously, eight by ten cards, and I wrote, find a way. And I put that on the top of my wall, and then all my goals fell under it. And right. when things looked tough or, you know, I didn't know, I looked at that, and it just gave me the inspiration to take action and find out, you know, how to do it. Find the path, you know, discover it. Turn over stones until, if at the end of the day, this has happened before, I I had to, I went I set goals and went down a journey and found out it's not going to happen. It, it it just but I was so satisfied that I knew that I proved I couldn't do it or I proved it wasn't going to happen or I proved it wasn't within the realms of my possibilities and I can live with that because it's so easy to just say oh I can't do that and I, I just I will never I never surrender to that because. I just believe that everybody that's listening to this, I know we're all different in so many different ways, but we are not different in a few ways. Our mental and spiritual energies are endless. That resource can, it will never be tapped out. And we have a choice every day how we're going to channel our energies. Are we going to take them towards things that have happened, might happen, that are negative, or are we going to take them towards things we want to have happen and we're going to make happen? And that's kind of how this this book was stemmed from. And you know, it's you know, it's it's helped me through my you know, it's obviously to play in the NFL, but the battle cancer, battle head trauma, the death of my mom. It's helped me be a better parent. It's something I was really passionate about with my kids, and and it's a vital role in what I do today. You know, I'm no different. I I get times where I'm like, oh, I get discouraged and frustrated. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Stop the negative. Stop the energy. Stop. Stop. Let's redirect it. Where we going? Now let's take action. Let's start doing it. So that's what the book is about. And I'm hoping when those who read it that they they realize their gifts, their amazing gifts that they possess, and then channel those energies in the directions that they're going. Rather, it's accomplishing things and setting goals or overcoming something they're facing. Right. Well, that is a that is an unbelievable story, Meryl, and and I love that. Find a way. And really, you know what you're talking about is everybody has the ability to decide that they are going to pursue the positive and not accentuate or accept the negative. Absolutely. You know, and, and listen, it's, that's, that's a challenge for all of us. You know, it's so much, it's, like I tell people all the time, it's easier to say you can't do something than to prove you, you can't do it. But I will tell you this, much more satisfying proving you can't do it than to say you can't. Because I can look in the mirror at the end of the day and go, well, listen, I did all I could. I can live with that. I have no regrets from that aspect. Even though I may not have got there, you know what? I'm I'm comfortable with it because I gave everything I had and I did everything possible. I didn't just sit on a chair in a chair one day, get frustrated, go, I can't do that, and then quit. That's right. That's right. So, Meryl, what do you hope to accomplish with this book? Well, you know, this is this is gonna be another really major chapter in my life that I'm inspired by and excited about is because all of the feedback that I have gotten back on this book, you know, the one thing that I, I, I'm doing more now than I've done in the past is I go around and speak to a lot of different different outlets and different 
different companies and different groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really almost thought to about creating a a, a find a way a business um, chair because find a way really applies to everybody and everything. You know, because we're all we're all going. You know, it could be a business that you know you got to find a way to get it back on track. You know, like the Ford company did. You know, they yeah. take a handout, they dug in, and but there's all kinds of individual um, um, challenges or goals that are being set. You know, from ages you know 12 to 72. You know, what I mean, so but trying to figure out and channel that how we can really help help those people find their way. And then, you know, use their stories to really inspire others. It's really what I'm working with right now and how to put that in order. Yes. I think I think we have a caller. Hello. Hi, Judy. Hello, Joyce. Um, I hope that you're feeling better. I just want to let you know that I felt that way last week, and I sent you a message and told you everything to do. Well, Judy, welcome to the show. This well, is thank Mary you, Mary. Brock, I think you're guest doing a wonderful co-host job. and reasonable accommodation for Joyce Bender. You are being a very reasonable accommodation for Joyce Bender. And how nice for you uh, to have Merrill Hodge with you today uh, before the holidays uh, talking about his book and how very, very inspirational you've been, uh, Merrill. Um, That's so nice. You thank you. Um, I'm the director of the Epilepsy Foundation in Pittsburgh. Uh, we cover what, uh, Western and Central Pennsylvania. And I think many, many years ago when I first started, you may have been assigned to us by the Steelers to sign some autographs at a health fair. I'm not sure. But you probably have done so many things for so many charities, it would be hard for you to remember all those things. Um, but anyway, um, I when you were talking about the fact that you went out to dinner and you didn't want to go on to... Um, um, you know, on television being bald, I couldn't help but, but remind it, be reminded of people with epilepsy. Now, people like Joyce and other people, uh, you know, there's such a wide spectrum of epilepsy as there is with with many chronic conditions. And, you know, many people think of people with epilepsy as, as people with helmets on or in wheelchairs or developmentally delayed. And uh, so they don't like to you know, associate themselves with epilepsy and the stigma that's attached to that feeling about epilepsy and disabilities. And many people like Joyce and Tony Coelho who just go out there and say, I have epilepsy, this is what it is, this is what it's not, I'm proud of it, Uh, it's made me the person that I am today, you know, all the battles that you went through with the cancer and uh, uh, your other illness, uh, you know, you survived all those things. And people with epilepsy face those things every day, you know, that feeling of loss of control, will I have a seizure today, will somebody see me, what do I look like, and I think that your book can be such an inspiration to all of those people uh, who have been, you know, I've known people who for, you know, when they were 18 years old, they're 60-some years old now, and when they were 18, their doctor said, whatever you do, don't ever tell anyone that you have epilepsy. Um, because you'll never have insurance, you'll never be able to drive a car, you'll never be able to do this, you'll never be able to swim, and those things just aren't true. And those people had that weight on their shoulder for forty, for decades and decades, so afraid that someone would find out that they had epilepsy. Oh, that's bad. I'm sorry. But, but you know what, it's so true. I, mean, I think it's a really vital point, and, you know, that's why, you know, I tell people all the time, you got to keep your head on a swivel because you never know where you will gather inspiration from. 
Right. You know, we can all be inspired, you know, at any given moment by any given person. You know, and, you know, I, I have people that, you know, I've, I've been able to develop relationships and friendships that have gone through cancer and who have been diagnosed here in the last three or four years. And, you know, and to hear how scared they are when they call me and, you know, rather it's through the Steelers or mm-hmm. ESPN, how they get in contact with me or my website. Um, but to listen to them and just to calm them down just a little bit, to give them a little perspective because that they, they're so caught up in that word and the fear of dying, which I can relate to. Right. But to see, get them through that journey and then to go, God, I just wished I, you know, they, how do I say this right? Um, they're like, they really appreciated that I took the time for them and was there for them and that, you know, I, I'd never be able to impact somebody like that. I'm like, whoa, yes, you will. I'm, you do. I try to share, please don't hide your story, you know, right. don't share it. It may only be one person that you come across, but that person that gathers strength from you. I mean, when I hear people, when I'm signing autographs or doing something, I hear somebody, and this happened a lot. I was just in Pittsburgh with a book signing, and the lady was there, and she said, you know, I had an Hopkins lymphoma 25 years ago. And I was like, okay, my first thought was like, okay, 25 years ago, I'm going to tell you this, that treatment wasn't the treatment I got. Right. Hers was a much more brutal, you know, probably a, a brutal battle than I was, I had. And she's 25 years down the road. I mean, that energizes me and inspires me. So, you know, we can all right. and, and, you know, and, share our stories and help so many others along the way, even if it's just one person, you know. Exactly. And, and your story translates very well to people who have other health conditions that are, you know, of course, you know, my passion has led, you know, led with, with epilepsy all these years, but, you know, just hearing you say, I was embarrassed to be bald, and, and knowing that, you know, people saw that as bravery for you to, to and and being so courageous to, to, to be sitting there uh, and, and showing what happens to people uh, that, that go through these treatments. And, uh, you know, I think people with living with disabilities like epilepsy and, and, and all those sort of things, you know, it takes courage to be able to stand up and say, you know, like, this is what I have, but I'm, I'm more like you than not like you. you know, we're more yeah. like than we are different. Yeah, great point. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I was really I was so grateful for, for Jay and his challenge. You know, I, I would have made a vital mistake had I stuck on my plan. <laughs> not to mention how silly you would have looked. No, kidding. Um, <laughs> not, you know what? No, no, no. You, you actually are right. I, I, I probably looked, I'd probably looked, it would have probably looked more odd for me to have a hat on than, than to not I'm, have I'm a trying hat to, on. I'm trying to picture you with that, a different hat on for every for every call. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a bad game plan but that got shot down. It was okay, but it, it, it would have been okay, but more people would have probably been talking about it than otherwise. I agree. Anyway, it's wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for everything that you've done uh, uh, for, uh, you know, people in, in writing the book, the inspiration, and everything you've done for the people in Pittsburgh, and we really appreciate uh, your story. Uh, bless your heart. Thank you. Thank you, and a Merry Christmas to all of you. And uh, Bender family, take care of yourself, and Joyce, get to the doctor. <laughs> I feel fine. I just sound terrible. Yeah, that's what I said, too. Okay, you take care. Thank you, Judy. Merry Christmas to you as well. Hey, Meryl, this gives me an idea. Just so you understand, there are 3 million people living with epilepsy, 
but there are 54 million Americans with disabilities. And I am going to do everything in my power to get this book out. Well, thank you, Joyce. You know, I, I and I here's what I what I really appreciate a for your commitment to help to do that. But yeah, those who read, I, I I just you know, I, this is what I've been so moved by when people call me or send me an email or visit with me is when I start hearing them talk about. Listen, they love the book. Um, it really, and then they start talking about themselves. That's what moves me. That's what I get most moved about because they start recognizing those gifts within, you know, and and assessing things differently and um, realizing they have they have they have the abilities to be to take their energies and do different things with them. And that to me is what I think probably inspires me or made me giving me the greatest joy about this. And it's really kind of been unexpected. It was one of my goals, but an unexpected response so far. So um, I appreciate your help. I really do. Joyce, one of the things I thought about uh, when Merrill was sharing his insight with Judy, who just called in, was the National Epilepsy Foundation's Talk About It campaign. So, Merrill, obviously, when you're talking about uh, epilepsy, it's not visible unless somebody is having a seizure. So it's a disability that uh, people do not have to acknowledge because you, quote, unquote, can't tell. But the National Epilepsy Foundation, through uh, the leadership and volunteerism of Greg Grunberg, um, has a website called talkaboutit.org. And, you know, you were sharing as you were talking with Judy, don't hide your story, share it. And really it's the same same common theme. Well, uh, it sounds powerful, you know, and the more that, you know, we all can help and do stuff like that, you know, what a... What a great, what a great opportunity for you know others to do this. Hey, Meryl, we are in 19 states, and we have hired wow. over 500 people with disabilities. Wow. wow. Yeah, Meryl, Joyce Bender is on the move. I'm just one of those on Team Bender who runs the four minutes per mile marathon daily to half keep up with her. <laughs> Don't let the croaky voice make you believe that she is running any slower than four minutes per mile. Hey, one other thing. Kareem Dale, if you are listening from the White House, I told you I knew Merrill Hodge. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Kareem Dale is a big Chicago Bears fan, Merrill. I know. Well, I just sent him out a note, so I'm hoping to, uh, to connect with him. Oh, you will. He can't wait to meet you. I'm looking forward to myself. Thank you guys so much for an amazing day. Hey, well, wait a minute, Meryl. I mean, Mary, do you want to ask about the book? Absolutely. I was just going to go back to the book, Meryl. How can our listeners uh, purchase the book? Well, they can actually go to my website, which is just MerylHodge.com. That's just M-E-R-R-I-L-H-O-G-E.com, all one word. And it directs you, you know, to how to purchase the book there. You can go to any bookstore. Um, Barnes and Noble, um, Otter Online, Amazon.com, anyway, um, that you'd normally go out about getting a book. So it, they're everywhere, and uh, would love it if you do. That's great. And will, do you have any upcoming book signings? I know you mentioned you had one here in Pittsburgh, Merrill. Yeah, I actually, I I'm actually coordinating another. We haven't set the date for it yet, and. Um, 
when I do, though, I keep that on my website. I put it out. I blog on my website about it. Yeah, you can sign up for um, – it's actually got the factor back um, portion of my website, and then I, the information just sends out to you. I, I'll tweet it and Facebook it when I do that, when I, once I get them lined up. Oh, fantastic. Well, that will be great. I know many of our les- listeners will want to purchase the book. And, you know, as you were talking about, uh, many folks said to you when you talked to them about your goals that they're hard to do, you know, the odds are not on your favor, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, it's impossible. And frankly, Meryl, you know, as you said, those common themes and messages frequently resonate with all of us when we're talking to others about a stretch goal and people are trying to help us kind of uh, make sure we have defense mechanisms in place so that we're not disappointed if we don't achieve those. Well, you know, that, that's a really good point. You just you, you said a key word there, defense me- mechanism. You know, I, I look at it like the more – the greater toolkit you have, the more you ha- tools you have in your kit, not only to achieve things and accomplish things, but to deal with things. You know, and I've told many people, you know, you know, the, the book, when you read the book, you'll, you'll discover I, there's a lot of things I didn't accomplish. You know, in fact, the thing I regret the most about my career is what I didn't accomplish, and that was to win a Super Bowl or to, or to play in a Pro Bowl. But when I look in the mirror, I ask myself this, okay, did I do everything possible to accomplish that? And I can look in the mirror and go, yes, I exhausted everything. I sharpened my skill set. I worked and trained as hard as I could. And guess what? I'm, therefore, I have no regrets. I can live with that, and I have the peace with that. You know, it's even like being a parent. Um, I'm going, you know, with my son right now, you know, and teaching him about, you know, he's really, he's not hit his puberty um, run right now. So some kids are ahead of him in some growth spurts and I keep talking to him, you know, about, you know, the goals that he has and what he controls and what he has and to focus on what gifts he has, sharpen those, pray for the others and then let the rest of it go, Bo. Okay. That if you do that, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be fine. doesn't mean you're going to get it, but there's a greater shot of you getting it than if you say, well, I'm not going to do it or I can't do it. Or I'm not going to work at it. Okay, we've just decreased our, increased our odds of getting it there if we're going to work, practice, and sharpen all your skills. You know, then we'll pray about the other aspect, ask for that help, and then do your part. Well, Meryl, you, you know? are a great father. That is definitely fantastic advice that your son is hearing from you. Yeah, well, he's a, uh, he's a, my daughter and my son are just, um, you know, I, I try to speak, when I describe them, they're the two, group, two of the greatest people I've ever met. I am I just, I love being a dad. I love the teaching aspect of it. I love the joy and the rewards that come from the relationships as they get older. And we, I mean, just, it's been the greatest thing I've ever had in my life. Playing the NFL, it's been all great. But being a dad has surpassed any, anything I've ever done. Well, that's incredible. Well, Meryl, you have achieved so much in your life. What would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Wow. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. Um, therefore, I probably haven't accomplished it yet, you know? Um, <laughs> I, you know, um, you know, I, I, I've never been... Uh, 
speechless. That's a that's a first. Um, <laughs> you know, I. Well, well, you I know, Meryl, I'll, I'll just allow you to stall for a moment because Joyce Bender, your greatest PR agent, given the opportunity, would have rattled off about 20 things from which you can choose. And I think this really shows the content of your character, and you're just such a humble, giving, loving person that, you know, you really just don't look at what you've done in that way. Yeah, I well, I appreciate that. I uh you know, I, I guess, you know, I look at things, um, and going through cancer too, you know, go getting that, that that shock in your life where you you really have to look at at, you know, life could be over soon. Right. Um, unfortunately it, it, it that didn't happen, but you know, I mean, shoot, nobody can promise me tomorrow. You know, there's no guarantee there. But you know, just really the 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 I, I, I keep coming back to being the dad, you know, and, you know, I just got done coaching youth football. I coached for six years, and my son now moves on to high school. And when we were sitting there after the All-Star game and the head coach at high school, the high school was talking to them and kind of introducing himself and welcoming them to the high school program, you know, I thought, man, that part of my journey's over. And how sad it would have been for me <clears throat> to – to be standing there and had missed it all. Right. You know, even though I saw, you know, to, I gave up a lot. I sacrificed, you know, I don't want to use the word sacrifice. I just gave up opportunities business-wise and professional-wise so that I could be there to coach my son. And that would, I, uh, that's not something I will ever tell him. That's not something that I, I did it because I, I didn't want to have a situation where I was standing there out in his all-star game and go, God, those six years flew. I don't, and I was never there other than the game, you know, right. one game or have not been on that journey, you know, and so to be involved with him, you know, I've always thought being there is different than being involved. And That's right. I've, I've just, I've tried to really be involved with my kids. And listen, I, I, I tell them all the time, listen, that does not mean, I've told them about my passion of being a good dad and trying to be a better dad. And part of that is accepting where you have failed and apologizing to them and hoping they can forgive you yeah. and not and apologizing without an excuse for my actions or my failures, um, but that I am willing to grow and learn from them, you know, but, um, and then that's been, you know, really powerful for me too, especially my kids get older, you know, and our, as our communication goes, my daughter's going to college and wow. my son gets older and we, you know, we talk about those things and, um, you know, and I just, just adults, I think, you know, um, here's how my, I view it is like, I, I want my kids to be accountable and apologize when they've been wrong and then take ownership of it and change it. Well, I, I have to do the same thing with them, especially, you know, if I have failed or they, you know, they feel I've let them down in some area or ever, you know, I just, I got to be able to do that. And I've done that with them in those areas, but to be there and be active and involved with them. I just remember sitting there. I, I was our, his head coach for like the last four or five years, and I, I was like, "God, it, there's no nothing that could have replaced that. No amount of money, no job title, could have replaced the, the joy I had of just being there and finishing that journey with him." Hey, Meryl, thank you so much. You are a blessing to all of us. Everyone, buy that book. Find a way. Hey, Mary, you have a quote for us. 
Yes, and as Joyce Bender always closes, Disability Matters with Joyce Bender with a quote. The quote for the day is by Merrill Hodge. He says, I tell people to keep your head on a swivel. You never know who you will gather inspiration from. Merrill, you have inspired me today. You have inspired me in the past. I wish you, your family, Marty, and everyone a very Merry Christmas and a happy, healthy, and prosperous New Year. Oh, thank you, guys. Merry Christmas to you and everybody listening. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to everyone and Mary. Great job. Michael Mitchell, my producer, fantastic. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.